0: It's my pleasure to welcome back to Pine Lake Covenant Church Peter Sung, who will bring our message today. Peter serves the, our conference, Pacific Northwest Conference, and he works with the ECC in starting and strengthening churches. and He's an executive coach, an organizational psychologist, working with leaders, and particularly in the church planting domain. He lives in the Seattle area with his wife, Susie, who is also here today, and their four daughters. And uh, we're just really pleased to have Peter here today. Good morning, church. Uh, Good to be with you all today. Uh, I want to share a word that I hope will be um, helpful and uh, nourishing for you, and it's a uh, it's a truth that I find uh, helpful to me uh, all the more these days. It's a kind of a clarity that I've arrived at. Uh, I turned 50 this year, and um, it, I didn't expect to feel anything, uh, but I got, I had some feelings, and they still persist uh, to this very moment. Most of the feelings are in my body, actually, <laughs> um, but as I as I was sort of growing up into this decade, uh, I really tried hard. I was very deliberate about trying to figure out how life works. You know, what's important? What really counts? What should I focus on? What's the meaning of it all? What's the point? What is truth? And I wrestled with these questions. And uh, today, I'm kind of happy to report to you that I did find something. And that's going to be from Galatians 5, 6, the verse for today. And the title kind of says it all, and I hope you remember this. This, hopefully, is a summary of all that I'm going to present to you today. There's only one thing, one thing that counts. There are a lot of things, to be sure. And a lot of things are important. A lot of things play their part They have their role in the world, in the body of truth. Uh, But they fall away, they pass away, because they're sort of the means to the ultimate thing. At best, these other things are penultimate. But there is one point of it all, and that's what I want us to think about today. Um, And we are in church, and so I'm going to put it in sort of a, a Christian context, obviously. But I want this to sort of ring true beyond that. When you're at work, when you're not thinking about religion or God, I want it to still be true. I want it to still be helpful for you. So this isn't just about, if you're a Christian here today, how to be a Christian or how to be a really focused Christian, but it's about how to do life. How do you do this thing that we're all sort of in? Life. There's this idea, a story, this clash that happened with Jesus uh, during his lifetime. There's this beautiful temple, right? It's got a long history to it. And the religious leaders, uh, the culture, the whole system sort of like pointed towards it. It's really important. It's called the temple. And then Jesus said, if you tear down this temple, I will raise it up in three days. And immediately the only thing that religious people thought about that they could imagine was Jesus was talking about the physical building itself. But the scriptures tell us that Jesus was actually talking about himself. It's not about the temple. This was completely news to them. That this structure that represented the essence of what they were and who they were. God's people. They were God's people and it was demonstrated to them. It was, it was made visceral and concretized in this thing called the temple. So they focused on it. They conflated God with the temple. Their identity was in the temple. And yet Jesus, wasn't talking about the temple at all. This is a helpful image for me to understand that life is not sometimes what we make it out to be. There are many things. But I want to remind you, I want to remind myself, and this may be news to some of us, that there's only one thing that counts. So let's go to Galatians 5, 6. Let me read it for us. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. So let me pause there for a second. When is the last time you thought about circumcision? (laughs) I mean, a remote chance of it, if you just became a brand new parent... Right? And yet to make a decision about the incision. (laughs) But that's it. We're not talking about this. We're not thinking about this. We're not obsessing about this. We're not identifying and judging and valuing people based on this idea. Are we? It's completely obsolete, isn't it? To the people At the church in Galatia, this was the key issue. This was the lens through which you judged each other. Think about that for a hot minute. Can you imagine that being the very grid through which you viewed people? That was the defining trait. The practice, the thing, the deed. Can you imagine that? Does it seem silly now? Paul says to those people who are obsessed with this idea that the very thing they're obsessed about or not obsessed about, it was still sort of in the air, has no value. It doesn't add anything. And then he explains what he means. He says, the only thing, the only thing, Billy Crystal was right. There's only one thing. If you're old enough, you know exactly what I'm referring to. (laughs) The only thing that counts or has value is what? Faith, but not just faith, faith expressing itself. Because remember, faith without works is dead. So faith expressing itself through what? Through religiosity, through rules, and lots and lots of rules. Through love. That's it. It's so simple. And in its simplicity, it's revolutionary. The only thing that has value... Everything else exists to support this one thing. Do you believe it? Do you, are you, are you 50 years old enough to believe it? I just find myself caring about things less. It's just, I'm okay with things being gray. But I also find myself caring more deeply about certain things. Like, I really, really care about how people are made to feel. Like, that matters to me so much now. I just thought that was such a sissy move growing up. You know, who cares how people feel? Feelings come and go. I had sort of an overall disrespect for emotions. Now, I mean... Just deep in the throes of psychology even, I really respect emotions. Feelings matter a lot. Sometimes, and sometimes it's the most important thing in the room that I focus on, is how people feel. How they're made to feel. I care about it, not just the science of it, but because scripture says, That's really the point that people feel loved and people are loved and that we practice love and that we believe that what we're doing is love because everything else stands in support of it. This is the end. Everything else is the means. This is the telos. This is the meaning. This is the truth. This is the point. This is the purpose. Do you believe it? Is that true for you? Um, Years ago, back when I was trying to figure out this whole being a pastor thing, I had just gone to seminary. And one of my sisters, I have three sisters, they wrote me this really confessional email asking me uh, kind of a a timely question. And I I remember feeling honored that she would ask me. And so I wrote her pages and pages of all the shoulds and don'ts. And I just still, decades later, cringe at some of the things I wrote in that email. Trying to control her life, trying to judge her, trying to sort of... It was my anxiety. It was my fear. It was my sense of self-righteousness. It was me trying to do God a favor. It was me being religious. It was me being Christian. But I think most of it was not love. It didn't add value. In fact, it created a distance. It drove a wedge. It planted a seed in our relationship that I don't think is fully recovered to this day. And you know how it is with siblings. You can't just, you sort of live with it and we sort of grow in decades and reconcile in decades. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So here it is, uh, put more plainly, uh, that loving God is exactly the same thing. If you want to love God, here's how you do it. You love your fellow human being. I had to put the word man in there because the Bible version I was using was man, but I mean humanity. Scripture means humans, obviously. I have three daughters and no sons. I mean four daughters and no sons. Three sisters. <laughs> and so I'm, I feel sensitive about this. Uh, uh, but the point isn't lost that if we want to love God, if you are somebody that wants to love God, there isn't this thing that you do towards God and then you got to turn around and do the part two of it all, loving human beings. That's not what scripture teaches. Scripture actually completely conflates these two things and says... If you love God, you will love people. And if you love people, you are actually loving God. What you have done to the least of human beings, you have done unto me, God says. So we'll go through some of these verses. Let's look at an obvious one. Galatians 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. And again, brothers and sisters. Do whatever you want to do. You are free. Be free. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Again, the whole point of freedom is that you are free to do whatever is necessary to love. It's not free to just to be free, but it's free in that you get to employ anything and everything in the service of love. For the whole law, for the whole law, not a part of the law or most of the law, but the whole thing, all of the law, as a body, as a group, the entire thing is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know if you've really just allowed this truth to sink in and pervade your living. It's not two things, it's one thing. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. One more verse. Matthew 22, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Right? So that's true. And then verse 39, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. So here we have Jesus separating out a little bit. But this is something called Hebrew parallelism. And what that means is this is a way of communicating. We see this a lot in the Old Testament. Jesus is doing it as a student of the Old Testament using the same literary technique. And the technique is simply this. You say one thing and then you say what is a second thing. But you only say it as a way to just prove and support and strengthen and underscore the first thing. So there's actually just one thing. That's why Paul can interpret this and say there's only just one thing love your neighbor that's the whole law okay fine we'll do one more micah 6 7 and 8 will the lord be pleased with thousands of rams with 10000s of rivers of oil shall i give my firstborn for my transgression the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul this is this is uh the quest- the question is asking shall i be religious what shall i do what should it cost me What should I sacrifice? The way I want to live, the things I want to buy, the things I want to do or don't do, where I live, how I live, all of it. It has to sort of be a constraint on me, a sacrifice for me. And the idea is, no, it's not like that. You're asking the wrong question. You're coming from an entirely wrong place altogether. You can't get the right answer asking the wrong question. And so he sort of flips it and says, he has told you not what your question is asking, but what he told you is this. What is good? What is good? What is good? And what does God require of you? But to do justice, that's love. To love kindness, that's love. And to walk humbly with your God, and that's love for God. So it comes down to these things, loving human beings and trusting God as you do it, being humble about it, not being religious and righteous about it, but being humble. So let me sort of start uh, uh, getting the plane to land here. All right, We're going to begin our dissension here. Two application points. The first is really simple. In order to make love your one thing and one and only thing, you got to do two things, which is really just one thing. But let me break it down for you. First, get low. Get really, really low. The verse I'm, I'm going to read is Luke. And there's lots of verses like this. There's 26 uh, c- accounts of Jesus sort of clashing with people about the Sabbath. And this is one of those. Jesus turned and asked the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of Moses, is it right to heal on the Sabbath? But they did not say a word. Jesus took hold of the man, then he healed him and sent him away. And the idea was that you weren't allowed to do work, you had to cease from work on the Sabbath. It was the most important law. There were over 600 laws written in order to help you keep this one law. Then he healed him and sent him away. Because what are you supposed to do? What if somebody needs healing, but it happens to be the Sabbath? That's, that's the conflict of interest. Afterwards, Jesus asked the people, if your son or ox falls into a well or a ditch, wouldn't you pull him out at once, even on the Sabbath? Wouldn't you do it? And of course, uh, Mark 2 uh, has a different... Uh, uh, telling of it. It's Jesus. He says to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And the idea is that the Sabbath law is really, 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 really important. And I don't blame you for having 600 plus other laws to help support this law, to clarify and to train you in how to keep this most important law. But... The whole point of this very important law was so that you might flourish. It was made for you. And don't you know this? Don't you intuit this? Doesn't everything in you, your bones, your cells, tell you that if a sun, forget the sun, maybe even an animal falls into a ditch, you instinctually, reflexively save its life? Don't you know that that's what you're supposed to do? Because the point is not about whether you work or don't work, but it's so that in your resting or ceasing from work, you might cause life to flourish. So if life itself is threatened so explicitly, of course you would violate the Sabbath laws because the point of the Sabbath laws was life to begin with. Why is it so hard for us to get this? And so get into the ditch. Where are the ditches in your life? Where people are hurting. Where people need to be cared for. Where people need your intervention. Get low. Get in there. Why are you not in there? What's keeping you? Is it the Sabbath law? What law? Tell me any law and I will show you how that law is asking you to get into the ditch. What is the point of your life if you are not helping other lives? Get low, get low, get low. Here's a summary of it. People are greater than principles because principles exist for people. People, that's the point. The person that you see is the point. So speaking of seeing, get close. Get close. Here's what get close means. 1 John chapter 4 verse 19 to 21. We love as a response because he first loved us, right? He taught us what love is. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And the idea is, you know, I I used to think, God, I love. God, I love. But this person, they are so annoying. And here John says, actually, it's the other way. The more you see, the easier it is to love. And so if you see this person, it's easier to love the person that's visible to you than the God who is invisible. So there goes your excuse. Seeing is the prerequisite to loving. In psychology, we call it attunement. Seeing the other person. Uh, There's another uh, really beautiful story. that I think I touched on this one of the times I was speaking here. Genesis 16. This is the first instance of a human being naming God, giving God... A name that describes an attribute that they experienced. This is in the early days of divine revelation. Right? Genesis 16 says, this is Hagar speaking. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And she gave him the name El Roy, the God who sees me. That's the very first name. Turns out, developmentally, in developmental psychology, the first thing the caregivers have to do is to attune with their babies. See, track with them. Because when you see, you love. If you see, you love. If you don't love, you're probably not seeing. Seeing leads to loving. Seeing Leads to loving. Okay, okay. we got to land a plane here. I'm at 23 minutes, folks. <laughs> Going crazy today. <clears throat> um, decision science, there's such a thing. Behavioral scientists and decision scientists have learned, study the brain using functional MRIs and things. What they learned is that human beings think about lots of things. We tend to make things complex. And so we start out with something that's simplistic Right, We don't really understand it. It's like black and white. And then once we double click on it, it becomes really, really, really complicated. But then we have a need to move things from simplistic to complex to simple. And so we have to work through the complexity. We have to unpack the simplisticness of something, unpack it and make it really complex. And then we have to distill it down and understand what it's really about. And we have to make... The simplistic simple through complex, right? This is what we know. Our brains do this. When we make things simple, we make things binary again. So we started out binary, and then it became complicated, and then we have to get binary again. So the decisions we make, it boils down to A or B, one or two. It's not one, two, or three. We have to do it. That's how decisions are made in our human brains. Here's my experience of it. As a Christian, especially as a Christian, I think this is universal though. I think this is for all humans. Often we're confronted with something and we are left ultimately with a choice. And it comes down to judge or love. This is going to be your choice. You're going to see somebody in the ditch. You're going to see an animal in the ditch. And who knows, maybe they dug the ditch. Maybe they want to be in the ditch. Maybe they have a propensity for ditches. Who knows? You're going to want to judge that person in the ditch. They're in the ditch again. This is the fourth time this week. Or maybe if I rescue this person from the ditch, I am enabling the system that digs ditches and maybe wants people to fall in the ditch. Maybe they're trying to keep people in the ditch so they can live outside the ditch. Who knows? It's complicated, right? But you work through that complexity, your job, your job from simplistic to complex to simple is to decide if as a human being and as a follower of Jesus, you're going to judge or love. And it's going to look different. Judgment is going to be different than loving. You're going to have to make this decision a thousand times a day. What are you going to do? What's the one thing? What's the only thing that adds value? How do you add value? Is it by judging? Does judging add value? When does judging someone in the ditch, condemning the ox, you stupid, dumb ox... Or what? What's the alternative? You've worked through the complexity. Wait, there's a Sabbath law. I can't really get down. This is bad timing. It's going to cost me. You work through all that complexity and you get to the simple. Judge your love, your choice, your call, your job. You have one job. It's not circumcision. I think it's love. I think it's love. Would you bow your heads with me? Galatians 5, 13 to 14. I would like this to be uh, our prayer. It says this, Through love, serve one another. God, help us to serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. God, help us to love you by loving our neighbors as ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.